along to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. I'm delighted to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, Dr. Jeffrey Overall. Dr. Overall is Associate Professor of Entrepreneurship and Strategy in the Faculty of Business and Information Technology at the University of Ontario Institute of Technology. He has held professorships at Nipissing University, Ryerson University and Leibniz Universität Hanover. He has over 20 years experience working directly with entrepreneurs within startups, incubators and SMEs across various sectors and countries, and is the president and co-founder of the Global Institute for Conscious Economics, a platform that promotes the connection between consciousness, mindfulness and economics. Professor Overall actively researches in three key areas of management, conscious business, entrepreneurship and the philosophy of management, and has written extensively on questions related to organizational and entrepreneurial failure. Jeff, it is great to speak to you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. So if we think about the mythology of entrepreneurs, especially that mythology that comes out of Silicon Valley, failure always seems to, to play a leading role. So consequently, is there, you know, in your experience, a natural relationship between entrepreneurship and failure. I think there is, you know, entrepreneurship in, you know, through the the Silicon Valley lens is often lauded. You see uh, the many positive aspects of entrepreneurship, wealth creation, independence, the ability to control your own destiny. But there are, uh, like everything, some limitations, some dark sides of entrepreneurship, uh, if you will. And I think that there is a really important relationship between entrepreneurship and failure. To me, they go hand in hand. Um, I think it's very difficult to get it right the first time as an entrepreneur. I think there's various stages of iteration. And the data is quite clear that you know, it's upwards between 80 and 90% of new startups will fail. Um, and that's just, that's just a reality. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, as you go through those learning experiences of, you know, having those failures, you know, the 80 to 90% range, when you start a new business afterwards, because you've learned and gained some experience and know-how um, and knowledge, you're able to, you know, reduce those instances of failure the next time that you go around. And from uh, some of the, the research that I've been involved with, we studied um, some of the most successful entrepreneurs in, in this country, in Canada. And we found it that, um, you know, the majority of these, of these entrepreneurs and their former uh, dragons on the Dragon's Den, we have that, uh, that television program in Canada as well. And they've all failed. And they found that, um, you know, learning from failure was in many ways more important than their successes because sometimes with our successes is that, you know, we can develop some, you know, hindsight biases and different types of things. And, um, you know, we can use our, our successes from the past and, and expect that those will lead to future successes. And oftentimes they, they don't, and we can be complacent and not fully 
be present and, and reviewing all the relevant facts that can potentially lead to um, to failure. And, you know, to simplify a definition of entrepreneurship, I just look at it as matching uh, solutions to problems. And that takes iteration. And with iteration, you often fail. Thinking of those 80 to 90% you mentioned, and, and possibly also linking through to the successful entrepreneurs that that you have researched, does it always come down to learning? Or is it also something else that, that helps them survive failure and and be successful next time? I think from what I've seen is that the learning from the failure is such an important aspect, even from my own personal experiences of just failing uh, in entrepreneurship, is that you gain so much valuable knowledge um, and experience that you can just apply that to your your future endeavors and your future ventures. And I find that that learning and that knowledge uh, gained is so vital uh, in that process. And you can do different things like from one of my failures, we were in uh, the automotive manufacturing industry and we're, we were um, manufacturing products in, in China and selling those globally. And I had a lot of experience with manufacturing and importing and exporting. Um, so I went into the, the snack food industry and um, what transpired is that I didn't have any experience with uh, with that particular industry. And as a result of just not having really any experience with, um, you know, the agricultural industry, um, I, you know, I had some partners in place, but um, we ended up, uh, some of our raw material was coming from Thailand in 2009, and they had uh, significant flooding and our raw material was under about four feet of water. Um, you know, and then our, 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 our costs increased by 400%. So the, the project was just a total loss. Um, but I just didn't have that knowledge. Like I never would have, you know, my experience in, in manufacturing our factory on a sixth floor, um, if there's flooding, you know, we could still get up to, to the manufacturing space. So that if you're getting into a, a different industry and you don't have that background, you can you just get these blind spots and things that can present that you've never really thought of. So from that experience, I know now that if I'm ever going to enter an industry that I have absolutely no experience, I'm going to surround myself with people that have that experience with mentors. So learning from that, I can you know take some steps that I wouldn't have even thought of taking in the next uh, iteration or the next business that I, I will go to. And those lessons just become even more valuable. And in many ways, that's a great example because you had an initial success, you then tried to diversify, uh, but that didn't work. And, and accordingly, you, you failed. But from that, are there certain things that we can perhaps say about the impact of failure not so much on the entrepreneurial process and the, and the learning that we mentioned, but actually on the individual entrepreneur. Because say, in your example, it seems to have been a positive process and, and you're still here to tell the tale. But is that always the case? No, and that's, you know, and this is what ties into, you know, a dark side of entrepreneurship that a lot of people don't really um, talk about is that, 
you know, within our society, we have such disdain for failure. We we don't look at it as the potential uh, to teach us things and to help us. We we hide our failures. There's a lot of shame associated with failing. Um, and as an entrepreneur, with that you know that ego or that face saving desires that when you're around friends and loved ones and they can see that you're putting in a lot of effort and a lot of time towards um, starting a business uh, and then it ultimately fails there's a lot of you know shame that is felt by the entrepreneur through that process um, and working with entrepreneurial students uh, the greatest fear that they have to starting a business is failure and that just comes back to our societal views and our norms of, of failing, um, if that were to change, obviously the feelings that entrepreneurs would have towards failure would definitely change. And my expectation is that would lead to more people willing to take the, the risk of becoming an entrepreneur. So with that constant fear of failure looming, um, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship in general is a is a stressful endeavor um you know we have runway issues we have to work um extremely long hours sometimes we don't have a lot of help around us so there's a, just a lot of stress um in that and that definitely um impacts the mental health um you know and within our society as a whole um you know there is starting to be some more open-minded conversations around um, mental health, but there's still a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, you know, in pre-COVID um, times, I was doing a lot of work and continue to do work around mental health and within the, the workplace and also tangentially related to um, entrepreneurship. And my argumentation was that, you know, we're in a mental health crisis Pre-COVID in this country, in Canada, we had 500,000 Canadian workers that were calling in sick every week due to mental health issues. That was costing our uh, Canadian economy $20 billion annually, and $6 billion of that was directly shouldered by organizations just through a lack of productivity. Um, since the emergence of the pandemic, we have um, some mental health facilities in this country that are doing some research, and they're earlier reports are saying that mental health issues are um, increasing significantly around anxiety, depression, addiction, um, and these particular areas. But unfortunately for the entrepreneur, you know, compared to the general public, which was some of that data that I just shared, is that entrepreneurs are 50% more likely to suffer from a mental health condition. They're two times more likely to suffer from depression, six times more likely to suffer from ADHD, three times more likely to suffer from substance abuse, two times more likely to have suicidal thoughts, and 10 times more likely to suffer from bipolar disorder, as well as two times more likely to require psychiatric hospitalization. So there is, um, you know, a lot of those symptoms can be related to the stress that entrepreneurs have to bear um, in doing their work. And when you put it like that, on a certain level, you wonder why anyone would become an entrepreneur when faced with all of those challenges. But to, to, to return to the shame piece and, and the link to, to the family, it, it strikes me as well that 
some of that could be linked to the fact that many early stage entrepreneurs, and I'm generalizing here, I don't know the statistics, but I'm guessing that many early stage entrepreneurs would look to friends and family for not just moral support, but possibly also financial support. So if their venture fails, there is a direct impact, not just on them individually, but also on their, their family and broader circle of friends. Is that a fair assumption? Oh, definitely. That's, um, and that's, you know, that's one of the, the plights of the, the entrepreneur is that when you're taking on in, investors um, and people are giving you money, you have to take that extremely seriously and entrepreneurs do. Um, and when you're going to friends and family for support, um, that just adds an extra dimension of, of worry um and fear and ultimately if you have to go back to your your friends and family and maybe colleagues and and explain the the bad news there's yeah there's just a lot of of shame associated with that and you know these are the the trials and tribulations of the entrepreneur and um you know from the research that i'm doing um on entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs and just you know um founders of startups is that they want to start their own ventures and their own businesses as a result of just wanting to be independent, to want to be in control, to not have to tell, uh, be told what to do, although their customers will tell them what to do, is that, you know, the, the famous saying is that an entrepreneur wants to work 80 hours a week for themselves so they don't have to work 40 hours a week for somebody else. And clearly to do that the individual on a certain level needs a huge amount of, of resilience but when you when you think about all of those quite shocking statistics about mental health and well-being that you uh, you cited a few moments ago in order to, to better support individual entrepreneurs is it just about enhancing resilience and, and those learning mechanisms or there are are there other steps that really individual entrepreneurs should be taking? I think there are quite a few steps that entrepreneurs could take. I think the first thing is that we just need to have these conversations. We need to create awareness among the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial community of these types of issues. And, you know, working in startups and having a lot of experience in doing that is there's some behaviors in in the entrepreneurial community that are praised and i tie this into just toxic masculinity is that you know you're praised for working 65 70 hours a week just really pushing yourself and you know in many ways grinding yourself down to a pulp in that's praised that um and the more you do that the more um, perceived respect that you'll get among your founders or other entrepreneurs in the community. And, you know, I have lived experience in that. I used to do that type of behavior for uh, 10 years and I burnt out. I ended up getting sick. I had two diseases, uh, near death experience in there. And then I realized is that, you know, when you're young, you can do these types of things, but you only have a certain amount of bandwidth. And if you continue to do that, this is how, you know, people get sick and disease and, and, and die prematurely. And from my experiences and my own lived experiences, as well as my research is that I've adopted um, mindfulness practices into my, my daily regime and spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs around the benefits of, of doing this. 
And you know the data is quite clear around uh, mindfulness or consciousness uh, expanding modalities is that they tend to have a significant reduction in the symptoms of, of mental health issues. Uh, they can get to the root of the mental health issue. And I find that through just taking care of my mind-body connection, giving myself proper rest, is that I'm far more productive you know, working 25, 30 hours a week than I ever was working 65, 70 hours a week. And then, you know, from the research that I'm doing is that these mindfulness practices and starting to see a lot of early adopters, entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley um, been using various types of mindfulness practices um, over the past few years as a tool to optimize performance. And the research that I'm involved with is that we're, we're establishing a link between um, mindfulness practices like yoga and meditation and, and these types of things with optimum uh, performance. So it's just another one of these, um, a lot of entrepreneurs spend time um, researching biohacks and things like this to get an edge. Um, you know, mindfulness practices have been around for thousands of years in Eastern traditions as well as indigenous uh, traditions and and they're very helpful with it with addressing a lot of different aspects of of the mind body connection. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm you know speaking from my experiences that that is um, a significant benefit. And I also think if um, you know we change our views in society around uh, failures, and that's a longer process, and that's outside of the control of the entrepreneur themselves. But if we equip you know, future entrepreneurs at the, the primary and secondary school level around what the expectations are. So they're going in with um, with clarity of what to expect out of that process, then they can, you know, take the measures in advance to be able to increase their instances of success. And would you suggest that that is one of the ways that society can, can better support entrepreneurs? Because uh, I'm thinking that Often, when you think about supports for entrepreneurs, it's it's very much about perhaps funding or government grants or about providing access to um, have conversations with venture capitalists. But is it actually much more on that personal and individual level where the supports might be directed? I think that it's in in my opinion. I think that these these um, I'll call them skills or knowledge or tools. Um, should be given to entrepreneurs and they should really be given to to everyone. I'm very critical of the education at a primary and secondary school level that I've received in, in this country. And, you know, simple tools of, of mindfulness would have been able to significantly aid me in my journey, um, not just in as an entrepreneur or in life. Um, so I think that those those skill sets are are vital for everyone, and in particular, just based on the data uh, for entrepreneurs. And I think there's some other things that, at least in our country in Canada, that we need to do to help entrepreneurs. It's very difficult for an entrepreneur to access, um, you know, um, loans without any uh, without any collateral and. I'm probably one of the oldest millennials uh, in the world, but I still fit into that cohort. And there are a lot of millennial entrepreneurs in this country that just don't have collateral. They don't have any assets because the, the housing is just so far out of reach for that particular generation. So when these entrepreneurs want to start businesses and they go to our six 
banks in this country because it's such a regulated uh, financial sector is that we only really have six financial institutions. And if you don't have any collateral, you just won't receive any funding. So it makes it extremely difficult for an entrepreneur to raise uh, raise capital for their ventures. Of course, there's some grants and things like that. But from the entrepreneurs that I speak to, they have a, an extremely difficult time um, getting unsecured loans um, in this country. And then they have to go back to the friends and family. And then there's that whole shame piece that we've already spoken about attached to it. Um, and then if you if an entrepreneur finds that there's able they're able to you know generate capital through you know very difficult measures so that just again increases the potential for failure for the entrepreneurs just that you run out of capital and you run out of runway and, you know you just cease to to operate but if you manage to get through that and you have a business that's generating some wealth for you and then you want to you know purchase a home or get a mortgage it's extremely difficult for an entrepreneur to even get a mortgage in this country because you have to show all of your financial um, documentation and all these different things. So there's so many um, aspects of entrepreneurship in this country that just people don't really know about. And it's just we're not we're not praising the entrepreneur like we should be doing. Of course, governments at all levels in this country um, invest heavily in entrepreneurship, but then we have all of these little corners and things that get swept under the rug that aren't really spoken about that makes the, the journey of the entrepreneur um, challenging. And because this, this information isn't being shared, they're going into it naive and ignorant and you know, they have to find out the hard way. And I'm, I'm interested to pick up on, on, on something you mentioned there a few times. You sort of referred to, to the Canadian context, and we started off uh, mentioning Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. do, do you think that those perceptions of, of failure uh, perhaps vary dramatically between different cultural contexts? Is that something which, which might also be underpinning things? Uh, I haven't done too much of a cross-cultural uh, comparison within the context of, you know, funding or these types of things. Anecdotally, I just know that we have a brain drain issue in this country. Some people, um, you know, think that it's been on in the process of being improved, but we still have some significant challenges that haven't been addressed in this country around funding. Um, and access to capital in my view. And we have some of our best and brightest that go um, to other, other you know, entrepreneurial ecosystem contexts like Silicon Valley where the conditions are perceived to be um, much better. Okay. You were talking there a moment ago about say, helping uh, entrepreneurs, you know, develop a greater awareness of mindfulness and, and, and other techniques. But if we return back to the beginning to that, that point about failure, would it also be beneficial to, to include discussion of failure and, and, and learning from failure on basic entrepreneurship programs? Is that something that you know, bodies and governments and so on should, should really be seeking to encourage? I think they definitely should be doing that. I, I include failure as a significant aspect of the courses that I teach to um, entrepreneurial students. I think that's a vital um, uh, point to, to discuss among entrepreneurs. I know that a lot of people 
you know, somewhat glaze over those details or not uh, fully get into into depth about it. And I think it's it's extremely important to do that and then also talk about, you know, the positive aspects of this of the failure and it, for it not to be um, perceived as something to to fear because it's ultimately going to help the entrepreneur. It's part of the process. I mean, like there's, it's extremely rare for an entrepreneur to just go through their entrepreneurial um, career and not have failures. Even some of the most successful entrepreneurs that we see, um, you know, they, they have failures that go along the way. And that's just part of the, that's just part of the process. And you know, there's really even some of the most successful entrepreneurs that are out there. They just have these particular failures where they could be just launching a new product and it doesn't work out. Of course, they're not going to their business might not fail completely, but there's failed products in in that process or failed services or or entering a market that doesn't work out the way that you thought it would. Okay, so I guess to, to pull everything together then, you know, for any entrepreneurs who, who might be listening or, or indeed for any leaders of organizations who are trying to develop and encourage a more entrepreneurial culture where, where failure is more accepted, you know, are there any key steps that you would say they absolutely should take or, or should consider? I think there needs to be cultures that embrace failure um, and how to do that would be, um, you know, to incentivize failures in within the organization to create sandboxes in different areas where people can try out new ideas and be incentivized for doing that. When somebody fails, you know, the old um, processes of punishing people or playing the blame game around failure um, is something that's just not going to ensure that people will take risks and will try new things. Um, and just discuss this at an institutional level, really throughout the, uh, you know, the various levels of hierarchy uh, within organizations. And, you know, when these failures occur, you know, incentivize discussion around them um, and also reprimand those that hide the failures just within an organization, just embrace those failures uh, and keep a repository of the knowledge that's gained uh, through that process um, would be very beneficial for um, for businesses because ultimately at the end of the day it's that you know r and d invest investment you know needs needs failures for um, you know those investments to turn into intellectual property assets is that you just need to continuously pour um, money into um, development and to ultimately through that process you're going to fail but you're going to uh, succeed you know, using the data 20 to 10 to 20 percent of the time so um, you know there is a return on the investment for doing that and to take those risks and to encourage that risk but ultimately it comes back down to um, organizational culture and changing viewpoints on um, failure within an organization and then you know through time that will hopefully uh, bleed into society great insights there professor jeffrey overall thank you very much for your time thank you so much
Time and Dream Sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution share and share alike license.